Welcome to Biofilm First, a podcast exploring the work being conducted at the Center for Biofilm Engineering at Montana State University, the world's first, largest, and best-known biofilm research center. My name is Skip Anderson, and today we're talking with Dr. Garth James, who oversees the CBE's Medical Biofilms Lab. We'll talk with Garth about the devastating role some biofilms can play in chronic wounds, as well as hospital-acquired what are some of the hallmarks of a biofilm infection? Well, um, often but not always, they're associated with um, some type of a, a medical device, like a catheter or an implanted device. Um, and they're, they're usually um, uh, a chronic infection or a recurring infection um, and not uh, necessarily a you know, life-threatening acute infection. They kind of wax and wane and, um, you know, they don't... Um, a, a good example would be a catheter-related, uh, a vascular catheter-related catheter infection where the biofilm forms on the catheter um, and then it gets to a point where it might um, disseminate bacteria into the bloodstream and then the patient gets a bloodstream infection. They're treated with antibiotics, which um, stops the, the symptoms of that acute bloodstream infection, but the biofilm's still on the catheter. And then when the antibiotic regimen is stopped, then the biofilm builds back up, bacteria get back in the bloodstream, and the patient has symptoms again of that bloodstream infection. They get antibiotics again, and it's just cyclical process. Um, and often that infection is not going to be re resolved until that catheter is removed. Well, there are other types of biofilm infections as well, and they too can be notoriously difficult to treat. Why is that? Well, um, a number of factors. Um, the the medic, medical device um, devices represent kind of, kind of a poorly defended surface. They're, it's not like a tissue surface which has uh, immune defenses. Um, and um, there are strategies to help promote or to try and promote that uh, immune response from working better on it, on those inanimate medical surfaces. Um, and then part of it is host factors themselves, um, you know, either uh, poor blood flow in the, in the case of um, chronic wounds or um, immune deficiency. And even with a healthy immune system, it's very hard for the immune system to clear those infections. And then on top of that, um, they often the, the biofilms are very tolerant to antibiotics, so they um, are really hard to kill with systemic antibiotics. So all those factors uh, work together to make these infections a, a particular problem. What is it about biofilm-related infections that make them less treatable through some antibiotics? Well, um, and again, there's, there's a number of factors, but um, like uh, Phil Stewart's work has shown that uh, the bacteria tend to be, in biofilms, tend to be not very metabolically active, and a lot of antibiotics um, uh, attack only growing bacteria. Um, antibiotics that tend to be effective against stationary phase cells or uh, dormant cells also tend to be better um, antibiofilm antibiotics than, than those that uh, go after um, growing bacteria. 
What, what types of medical devices have you tested at the Medical Biofilm Lab? Oh, a, a vast variety of devices, uh, various types of catheters, including uh, urinary catheters and peritoneal dialysis catheters and venous access catheters, uh, device, other devices associated with venous access like uh, needle-free connectors. Uh, we've looked at uh, a variety of implantable devices, including pacemakers, um, neural stimulators, uh, cochlear implants, breast implants, and then some other things that you might, you might not consider to be devices, including um, lavage, surgical lavages and wound washes, um, which are regulated as devices, and, um, and then also uh, various catheter lock solutions to, um, for both urinary catheters and venous access catheters. And then, you know, uh, I could go on and on, you know, contact lenses and, uh, you know, well, dental all of implants. Those, and, yeah. All of those are potential medium for biofilm growth. Yes. Well, you mentioned urinary catheter infections, which, which are caused by biofilms, and that's well established. Uh, and they represent one-third of all hospital-acquired infections, and that, in turn, adds millions of dollars to treatment costs each year, and it can adversely affect patient outcomes. Why are urinary catheter infections so common, and why are they so hard to treat? Right. Well, well, part of the reason that they're so common is just that urinary catheters are used so often. You know, often uh, hospital patients have to be catheterized for, for one reason or another. And, uh, and then uh, the, the urinary tract is not uh, sterile, so the bacteria are present. Um, urine is a good medium for growth, and it's a nice body temperature, so we have temperature, nutrients, microorganisms, and fluid. Um, it's just all there for them to form a biofilm. And, you know, we've looked at various um, catheters that have been in for various amounts of time, and we always find a biofilm on the catheter. They're always there. But not everybody gets a, a urinary tract infection, so there's patient uh, factors involved there, too, and perhaps uh, factors associated with the with the different uh, microbiome of different of different people, um, and as I said before, the biofilms are very tolerant to antibiotics, so it's difficult to um, treat these infections with systemic antibiotics because we just can't really kill the bacteria on that catheter very well. Even if we can uh, clear them from the bladder, they're still going to be on the on the catheter itself. Um, and so um, th those are all factors. And another big factor too is how long the catheter is in place. Um, you know, if it's a matter of days, then usually there's no infection, but the longer that catheter is in, the more likely that you're gonna get a, a urinary tract infection. Well, are there developments on the horizon that might help solve this problem? Well, there's a, there's a lot in the literature, um, in the scientific literature of things that are potential, um, potential um, new approaches uh, to help prevent cath catheter-associated urinary tract infection. Um, 
But the real challenge is getting things that look promising in the lab into the clinic, and that involves regulatory issues and expensive cl clinical trials and things like that. Um, there have been uh, antimicrobial catheters on the market. There, there still are. And those are all drug-eluting uh, technologies. And it's a challenge because of the urine flow rates to be able to load the device with enough drugs so that it'll, it'll last very long. Mm -hmm. So typically, with typical urine flow rates, that catheter, in the lumen at least, is only going to be, uh, the drug is only going to be there for a matter of days. And if the catheter is going to be in place for weeks, it's just not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. Now, the people are looking at non-eluting catheters. Um, technology development, um, antimicrobial technology development uh, historically has really been focused on planktonic bacteria. And so we have these things that work against planktonic bacteria, well let's try them against biofilm. And so um, I think we're going to do better when we start targeting the biofilm right off the bat. Um, and, and another thing is, um, is standardized test methods. And the, um, the standard biofilm methods lab here at the CBE is developing a, a standard catheter test method. And uh, having that will help um, compare across different technologies to see what works and what doesn't and what shows clinical effectiveness and what doesn't. Well, your work has the potential to affect millions of patients each year, and that has to be gratifying, I would think. Uh, how did you get started working with biofilms in chronic wounds? Yeah, um, that started um, when uh, a physician in Texas, Randy Wolcott, um, called the CBE to talk to Bill Costerton. And Bill was out of town, and so he got me instead. And Randy and I started talking, and um, you know, we designed a study to look at the prevalence of biofilms in chronic wounds. We called it the 50 wound study, and it was actually 50 chronic and, and 16 acute wounds that we looked at. And that became the paper Biofilms in Chronic Wounds, which has been cited uh, you know, hundreds of times, um, very successful. And it also gave us the preliminary data um, to go and get an NIH grant to study uh, chronic wound biofilms. So that was a, a P20 grant, and we teamed up with um, some dermatologists, um, uh, John Olerud and Phil Fleckman at the University of Washington on that grant, and Randy was still involved, and um, you know we made um, some really good progress and did some of the work on how the mechanisms by which biofilms can impair healing. Well, Bill Costerton was the second director of the Center for Biofilm Engineering. Um, so that phone, that fateful phone call had to come uh, quite a while ago. Yeah, I'm trying to think what year that was. It was around 2003, I believe. That's interesting. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you picked up the phone. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us here today, Garth. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Biofilm First podcast is a production of the Center for Biofilm Engineering at Montana State University. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.